Welcome back to the Iced Coffee Hour. I'm Brandon with Investment Joy. And so far, the Iced Coffee Hour has made $164,123. That's the closest guess we've had so far. That is actually true. Oh, good. It's $124,000. $124,000. Yeah. And if you guys are wondering why this is the exact same as last episode, that is because we are doing back-to-back episodes never done before in this you know, this quick a time. So yeah, yeah. welcome. Uh, okay, cool. So I can feel uncomfortable because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm coming on the heels of someone much, much more no, affluent no, and famous no, no, than no. I am. Do you not realize you don't, everybody else? You don't realize how uh, internet famous you've become. Mm-hmm. I, you are like the TikTok sensation. You just did a million subscribers on YouTube. Your videos are going more viral than any of ours ever have by a magnitude of like 10. Yeah, but it's all from YouTube shorts, and those, like, really don't count. But those it doesn't matter. Here, here's the thing. I, I bet a lot of people might be watching and be like, ooh, who's Investment Joy? Where have I seen him before? Well, almost guaranteed, if, you, if you've opened TikTok, almost 100%, you've seen how much your laundromats make or how much the, uh, the, what, what, the, the one I really enjoyed from you was the game where you put in a quarter. Oh, yeah, the quarter pusher. The quarter yeah, pusher. I, love thing. I yeah. loved that. Uh, you own a multitude of business. You, you're looking at a car wash. You own real estate. Mm-hmm. You're basically the go-to of viral content, uh, but but it's business-related. It has to do with making money. Yeah. I mean, wow, you really talk me up. I need to hire you guys for <laughs> for my stuff. Oh, man, no, not- it's incredible because I, I remember, and you are actually one of the first people to go like mega viral on YouTube uh, in the finance space, and it was your video. How much do you make with a laundromat? And I, th- I remember yes. that video just, I think it was like 4 million views in a few days in the first few yeah, days. Yeah, at, at uh, peak, if memory serves right, it was October the 19th, 2019, very shortly after I was on a certain other podcast. We have to provide some proper background to this because on the second channel, when we first started it, we used to do these things where we'd get people to call in mm-hmm. and then Graham would basically provide financial advice. Or, not financial advice. Right, okay, not financial advice. Entertainment, entertainment. Right, to disclosure. talk about finances, maybe what the caller could be doing better. And it also didn't necessarily have to be about finances, but just yeah, general taking calls, kind of like Dave Ramsey, yeah. right? And uh, you came on the, I, I organized your call to come on. Yeah. And uh, I think you had at the time like 500 subscribers, was it? Uh, I, it was a little over 2,000. Oh, was it over 2,000 subscribers? Yeah, it was over 2,000 subscribers, but they weren't doing anything. I sourced all my subscribers essentially from posting on Reddit all the time. Got it. Okay. Yeah, but it just, it wasn't enough watch time. That was the problem. I had subscribers, but not watch time. So you came on and you talked about owning, what was it, like 60 or it was like 100 rental It was almost, at that point, I think that was right before I bought the trailer park. So I was at like 90 rentals and then the title said, what's it like owning almost 100 rentals? Yeah. And you were considering buying a trailer park and I thought Mm -hmm. it'd be an interesting call. So I scheduled you in to talk with Graham. You came on and this was our first real introduction where we we got to know you. And this was about two years ago. And since then... Your channels have just, or your channel, and you're just following Everything. off of yeah. every platform has just exploded, and especially TikTok, yeah. where you, I don't, how many followers do you have at this point? Um, it's 2.7 million, but it should be rolling up like any moment now to 2.8 million, which is insane because it's just the viral growth I've seen on TikTok is just crazy compared because mm-hmm. the first real viral video i had on tiktok it was the um the magic penny one mm-hmm. where i took the briefcase full of cash and then showed what happens if you take a penny and you double it 
every day for I 29 days. I remember that. Yeah. And it was like a four-part video, which is insane. And I uploaded that, and I, within three days of Memory Surgeon Right, I had 20 million views in the whole series. And I was like, what the crap? Why would anybody watch a 59-second <laughs> video? And I'm like, it's just basic math. But granted, I have the aspect I've got a briefcase with a bunch of money in it. Um, I'm like, I can get a little bit of attention that way. But it's just the viral growth was there. I was like, holy crap, this is insane. And then, you know, just kept going on with my regular collection videos, regular cycle, and just started just continuing on with it. And it's been insane. And it's just so weird because I get stopped. I, when I blew up, the rumor was with TikTok that everybody was a bot, like 90% of your traffic was bots. And there's just this rumor. And I'm like, ah, oh, no one's really real. And then I got stopped at Walmart. And so I was like, it's the laundromat guy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you watch me on YouTube. Like, you're on YouTube? What? where did you see me oh i saw you on tiktok me and my, all my friends watch you on tiktok and i'm like oh my gosh they're not bots i can't believe <laughs> this it's, it's, it's a really surreal moment uh -huh. like oh wow here's this new platform it was you know relatively new generally speaking and i've got all this viral traffic off of the people recognizing who i am and i'm like and I prefer them to be on YouTube, but I'll take what I can get. It's so. interesting. We had Zach King on a few days ago, and mm -hmm. he was talking about that he was on YouTube, and then his TikTok is what's turning out to be like more popular in terms of mm -hmm. followers. And people will come up to him having no idea that he is a YouTube channel. Yes. They just know him from TikTok. I, I ninety percent of the people that I talk to that watch me on TikTok have no clue I'm on YouTube. So there is almost no intermeshing. And I was talking to ask Seb, I was talking to ask Sebi like a yeah. couple hours ago and I was like, there's no intermeshing because he was talking to a couple other creators on TikTok and they said that they, they just, the TikTok traffic sucks because no one will go to your YouTube channel. I'm like, TikTok traffic doesn't suck because there's attention there. You got influence over people, but the problem is they don't want to pull people off your platform. Like everybody knows YouTube wants to keep all your views inside the, yeah. the YouTube platform and TikTok is like twice as bad. They want to keep all your traffic in browser. So guess what happens? You go to YouTube on the in TikTok browser, you can't subscribe. You have to log into your YouTube account from TikTok and it's just practically no. impossible because you have to go through the, the Google authentication. I had no idea. Yeah, that's pretty, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very very difficult because I've found people that I want to subscribe to on um, from TikTok, and it's just this mess. So I copy and paste their name from TikTok into hmm. YouTube so I can subscribe to them. And then what you have to end up doing, I mean, there's a whole other procedure you have to do with it. But it's just one of those odd things that I run into because I'm like, well, and I run into people that are arguing and throwing a fit over. I'm like, well, just use the traffic that you have on the platform. There's, I mean, you have a million subscribers on there. You can make all the money you need to if you run, uh, treat it like a business. Yeah. Why don't we go back to the very beginning? How do you get involved in doing all of this? Do you have a degree? To okay. Tell us, tell us the, the backstory. Do you we, want the 30 second no. sales pitch? Do you no. want the five minute? We, I the think five the five, how about the five minute okay. one? Five minutes. Okay, so give us a, give us a five minute version. Okay, so my name is yeah. Brandon. I grew up 20 miles south of Columbus. My dad was a truck driver. My mom sold Avon. Um, grew up in a, a, outside of a little town called Circleville, um, Ohio. We're, we're famous for pumpkins. We all worship pumpkins. Anyway, um, so my dad drove truck. My mom sold Avon. We were always really dirt poor. Um, when I was six years old, we got evicted. Um, we had we ended up moving to the literally the middle of a cornfield. My parents were able to find a house that they could kind of afford. Uh, lived there for quite some time. Um, then, long story short, my dad had a heart attack um, when I that was eighteen. Um, we lost that house. We got evicted out of that second house. Um, my, with my dad's heart attack, he just was it, he couldn't work anymore. So my brother and I we had to go 
immediately go get jobs. I started working up at a warehouse in Groveport, Ohio, um, just like an Amazon warehouse. Cause I, I talk very favorably about working for Amazon. Cause all these people, I talked to a lot of people on social media. It's like, Oh, I just work at an Amazon warehouse or I work at a fulfillment center. I'm like, Hey, I did that for three years. So I worked at a fulfill, uh, fulfillment center for three years. Uh, my brother picked trash for the city municipality. Um, so did that for three years. And then I was like, you know, I'll never be able to raise a family on this. I need to find out something that I can do um, that I could support a family. And I've always had this dream of having a one income household. Because typically, you know, any more modern society have a two, two income household, husband and wife work. It's hard to raise a family and all that different stuff. So I'm like, you know, I, I think if I do, I get a real estate license. And in my, even in my small town, you know, this is 15 plus years ago, everybody that was in real estate drove a Cadillac and they had nice clothes. I'm like, well, hey, even in my small town, they've got Cadillacs. So everybody in real estate must be rich. So I ended up spending three weeks, three whole weeks going and getting my real estate license. So that was 2006. And then after I got in real estate, I came to the really quick determination that the salespeople, there were a few that were wealthy but it was practically all investors that were wealthy. I ran into a janitor uh, of a hospital in Columbus and he was a janitor and uh, he came to my office and this is like 07, 08. I got my license in 06 and he's like, I need to buy, I want to buy some getaway land down on the Hills. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, that's fine. Go get uh, pre-qualified for a mortgage. And he's like, what do you mean by, I said, go get pre-qualified for a mortgage and we can talk about what you can afford, blah, blah, blah. And he throws a freaking checkbook at me. And he said, look at it. Like, okay, mm -hmm. what? And I open up this guy's checkbook that he threw at me to take a look. He has half a million dollars in his checking account. And I'm like, what the heck did you do? You're a janitor. And he said, well, I invest in real estate. And I'm like, you <laughs> invest in real estate? He said, yeah, I buy houses close to the, the hospital and we flip them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't need to be a real estate agent. I need to be an investor. So from 07-ish, I spent from 07 to 2013, just like trying to figure out how do I get money to invest? And there's a lot of other stuff that went on. I got into building websites and online marketing and stuff. While I kept having my real estate license, I got in big into selling foreclosures, doing bank, bank uh, BPOs, uh, broker price opinions um, for banks, doing foreclosures, ran a foreclosure blog that was decently popular for a while, um, all trying to figure out how do I get money to buy rentals. And I just couldn't do it because I just kept getting more money, but I couldn't go and buy anything. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Start Engine. Alex, do you know what I'm super excited about this holiday season? That you get to eat an entire Thanksgiving turkey by yourself and nobody's going to judge you for it? No! Well, yeah, but... Is it the thing that you told me not to talk about in the podcast? What are you talking about, man? There was nothing there. Oh, well, is it our sponsor today, Start Engine? Yes, Alex, it is. You see, I've been so interested in startups and equity crowdfunding, but the problem is for a long time, those investments have been reserved for accredited investors with huge net worths. But times are changing and now they are way more accessible. You know what, Jack? That sounds awesome. And I think something like that would really add a new level of diversity to my portfolio. And with over 600,000 users and $450 million raised, I think Start Engine could be a good starting point. Not to mention it's shark approved. Kevin O'Leary, AKA Mr. Wonderful himself, is actually a strategic advisor, an investor, and a paid spokesperson of Start Engine. Plus, the CEO Howard Marks was a co-founder of Activision, which has a multi-billion dollar market cap, so their team is pretty impressive. So click the link in the description to get started today, and Start Engine will send you an article that details five things investors should know before they invest in their first startup. And you can get started diversifying your portfolio today. 
Thank you so much, Start Engine, for sponsoring this episode. And back, back to, to the, the podcast. podcast. Around 2013, I finally figured out, you know, I can go out and get investors. I can go out and get capital a different way. And at that point, I was able to go get investors. And then we just kind of meandered on. Um picked up the landlord from when I was six years old, the one that evicted me. Um, he's, he became one of my investors and we started wow. going to buy more yeah. property and all that stuff. So um, in that process, I started in 2013, bought a house July, 2013, I think about two in 2013, four or five in 2014. Um, then I just kept scaling and every year I've got more except the, uh, I think 2020 I only bought I didn't buy anything in 2020. I don't, think, I don't think I bought anything in 2020, which is weird because I figured if I was going to have growth on a YouTube channel, I'd just be constantly buying properties and yeah, right, and showing people what it's like. And I've bought less stuff since I started like really doing well on YouTube than I've ever done. So that's what I'm trying to hopefully get back to is buying more stuff. I mean, we've got the laundromat and I did buy the two car washes, but it's just been an odd thing. I bought like a vending machine here and I bought an arcade machine here and I'm like, you know, I really want to go out and buy another apartment complex or I want to go out and buy some different kinds of real estate that I want to always wanted to try and dabble my hands in. And I just can cross monetize it with YouTube. And that's kind of where I want to go, but it's just been a slow process because of coronavirus, because I've at up until recently, essentially self-managed everything, which is a, which has been a nightmare during coronavirus. How many doors do you have at the moment? Uh, it's like 138 or 139. And to, if you were to buy currently, would you use investor money still or would you just use your own funds? Um, it depends. If Like right now, I, I'm still once in a while taking capital. And it's usually because I want to try and build a relationship with somebody. If I like, I've got well, the landlord evicted me. I want access to a little more money. So I called him. Oh, gosh. What was that call like? Like, hey, uh, you, you evicted, you evicted us. Uh, yeah, can I get some money? He called me. He did. Yes, he did. Oh. He said, "I've seen that you're really good with money," and he said, "I know that you don't know me very well." But he said, "If the next time you've got a deal, give me a call." So I was like, th two or three months later, I was like, "Really? Am I going to let this guy back in my life?" And I was like, "You know, if I would sit down and analyze why somebody would evict my family," I thought, "I'm not saying I would evict my family, but I'm like, I sure as heck would not have." Um, done what my parents wanted to do because they wanted a no money down land contract with no credit. Like I would never do that in a million years yeah. as an investor. And my parents for some reason thought that you could do that. You can't do that. If they really wanted the house that we got evicted out of, they should have pre got qualified for a mortgage. Totally would have gone USDA. They could have put five down, 5% 5 down mm. in the 1990s and they could have bought it. They could have done it. But mm. instead the landlord needed cash. He wanted to sell the house out. So he evicted us. It's like, it's just, it's a logical procedure. All the, all this business stuff is a logical procedure. And if you are in the driver's seat, it makes sense 90% 90, 90 of the time. And there's a disconnect between your average person, I think, and the person that's in business because you're never in the driver's seat for the money and the finances. And sometimes you just have to make hard choices. I make hard, I have to make hard choices practically every day, at least every week within my business of who gets qualified, who doesn't get qualified, where am I going to take this money? What am I going to do with it? And, you know, sometimes there's just no good choice, just have to make a choice and let the chips fall where they want to. So, wow. So, um, at what point did you start getting into car washes, laundromats, arcades, um, and why? So the laundromat that I own right now was one that me and a buddy tried to buy back in 2018. And um, with the, the guy that owned it, the uh, Trippy, um, uh, the guy that um, owned it, 
before I did. He passed away in 2017 and his mom took over the estate as an executor. We tried to talk her into doing, selling us the laundromat and we offered her like 50 grand and she didn't want to do it because she thought I didn't have the money. And this is 2018. I could have wrote her a check. I could have bought it, you know, paid her cash. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to do it. She went with somebody else. And as a part of that process, we got the books on it. We saw that she was turning in $8,500 worth of quarters a month to the bank. No. Yeah. And I mean, it was to the point that she couldn't bear, she like taking them in little buckets and all this different stuff. And I was like, holy freaking crap. It's a 50 grand, $50,000 property. Like, I don't care what I have to deal with headache wise. I'm, I'm the ROI on that. That's is astronomical. It's yeah. like a one year repay. So I didn't get it. She went with another investor. Um, the other investor could not make a run of it. Um, why just, um, he outsourced all of the business process to a family member, which I have found out the hard way mm. does not work in a lot of cases. Um, he outsourced the entirety of the business process to a family member. They ran into the ground tour. I wasn't making any money. They closed it down for a year and a half ish. And then I took it over or I bought two other laundromats that were absolute failures. Um, and we've liquidated one of them. We're in the process. I'm actually land contracting it to a guy that works for me because he doesn't want to use it as a laundromat. Now that I know a lot more about laundromats, I never would have bought those two, but looking at the, the one that was making $8,500 a month, I was like, oh man, I, these things are cash cows. So I bought two other laundromats and they didn't work out too well, but I could see the numbers as I did resource. I'm like, man, I buy one good laundromat. It'll make those other two crap deals work out. So I got this, the guy that owned it was selling it. And, um, I convinced them to sell it to me with seller financing in place. So I didn't get it for the 50 K that I offered, but I got it for 15 K down. And then he's carrying back 75,000 on a really good note. So, um, and it's just, it's worked out really, really well. And we've gone through, we've renovated it. Um, we got a laundry consultant guy, Danny, um, he's, he, he flew into Ohio because of my YouTube channel and kind of went through the whole laundromat and said, Hey, you've, you, you suck, go and do set up this process for your laundromat. And now, um, I just did my last video. We, the first nine days of this month, we brought in three grand. So it's on track to do what, the nine. What did he do? What, what did he walk in? What was bad about it? He is big on like all new machines, make it look really nice and clean and get new machines. And that's, that's kind of big thing of it. Yeah. What more could a laundry consultant really Oh, not to, not so to, not to yeah. discredit me, a laundry consultant. Let but. me educate you, Jack, really quick. Because uh, what was interesting when you called in on our first conversation was because I seriously looked at getting a laundromat, I think it was 2014 or 15, and I really considered it. And uh, I found there was a laundromat forum, okay. and a whole bunch of people were, were giving advice on how to find laundromats. And then through that, there was, everyone recommended a laundromat consultant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met with a guy, and he walked us through one of his laundromats that he, like, I don't want to say, like, he managed it, but he helped put it together. Mm -hmm. it, was a ni it was a nice place. But everything from, like, right when you walk in, how does the flow look like? Where do you put the security camera? What type of machines do you use? Where's the, like, the, the dollar thing? Is there a restroom on site? Does the door lock at a certain hour automatically? Yeah. Do you have a, it's, it's insane. Yep. But I almost got, uh, after that, that, that consultation with him, I almost felt like I know nothing. First, we have to thank our sponsor, Ritual. Ritual. 
Guys, let me tell you about my morning ritual. I wake up at precisely 6.49 a.m. every single day. I get out of bed, brush my teeth for approximately 2.1 minutes, and then I jump for joy because why not? I then walk down my 15 steps to get downstairs and then get ready to head to the gym. But before I go to the gym, I have to have my daily protein shake. And that is exactly where our sponsor, Ritual, comes in. Some protein powders can seem super intimidating and sometimes that ingredients list can seem super confusing. But with Ritual, you get a delicious plant-based protein offered in three premium formulations for different stages of life that require different nutritional needs. And it's all made with the same high standards approach and commitment for traceability that Ritual is known for. So whether you're doing reps or walking the dog, there's something for you. So why not shake up your Ritual today? And to make trying something new less scary, Ritual offers a 100% money-back guarantee if you're not fully satisfied. And our listeners can actually get 10% off their first three months by going to ritual.com slash ICH. That's ritual.com slash ICH. Go ahead, try them out, guys. Thank you, Ritual, for sponsoring this episode and back, back to, to the, the podcast. podcast. Like you, you would think that it's easy. Yeah. But I was uh it was the amount of work and I looked into it and believe it or not, like remember I, I would tell all the time that uh, before I got into real estate, I would go to open houses like mm-hmm. every single weekend for months. Crazy. Guess what? I went to laundromats. And I would go with a with a buddy of mine, and we'd go together, and we just like every single laundromat, we'd walk in and just look around to see like what was good, what mm-hmm. was bad, and uh, you learn a lot from that. But it's a it's a business, yeah. and uh, you can't hire it out, and it's very hard yeah. to. And that's the thing that I'm finding out. It's, it's just how bad I am at finding good people. But it's something that I'm very conscientiously trying to concentrate on and, and solve within my own business because I've got we're to the point that I can either blow up my social media stuff and make way more money with it, or I can blow up my real estate business side of it. And I'm trying to trying to do what I can to make sure things are segmented right so I can make the most profitable choice for me. And it'll probably be social media for yeah. honest with it. Now, what did the laundromat guy do, though, for your business? What did he say? What was his advice? Um, get rid of all my crap machines because we were constantly having one, two, three machines down constantly. And he said, look, no one uses a laundromat that always has machines down. you got to have everything working the only way to do that is get all new machines. And the problem is with laundromats is one machine could retail for $20,000. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you need 20 of these machines. And it's like 20 machines at $20,000 is a piece. It's 400 grand. Like, I don't want to spend that money. And he's got a really good system of this is what you offer. This is how you negotiate to get those machines. Here's how you can get them financed from the factory like with very minimal money. He helps you negotiate leases. He helps you just do all these different things. Cause unlike my situation in Southern Ohio, I, I won't buy something unless I own the dirt underneath it. I want to buy the, mm. the real estate. I want to own the land. That is very much not normal in the United States. Most are in leased facilities. And you guys know, I'm sure lease, you can get screwed over on a lease yep. six way from Sunday, especially in the state of California, mm-hmm. because what they'll do is they'll break com, like community fees, water fees. There's like all these different, like they would be like HOA fees in Ohio, but there are other like cam fees and just all this different stuff. And then they, they make you think that you're getting an all inclusive price on the lease. And then you find out there's all these backup fees. And so your lease just goes from 5,000 to 10,000, just at the drop of a hat. And he comes in and helps you get a really, really good lease on the property. So if you, you've got a 20 year lease on a property and you've, you're only getting like a 1% acceleration a month or a year and your landlord initially asked for six, 
you know, you start figuring out what the in dollar amount is after 20 years, it's just an insane difference. And a lot of people just don't understand that that's kind of things mm. that can happen. So how much do you think this consultant saved you and how much did they charge? They didn't charge me anything because my YouTube channel, which is nice. Wow. Yeah. So you want to plug him? May as well plug him. It's Danny D'Angelo. I'm going to his house tomorrow. So like right after I record this, we're going to go do a live stream tomorrow. Cool. So I brought all my is camera he, gear. Is he stuff. in Vegas? No, he's in Phoenix. So I'm oh, I got like, excited for a second. I'm, I'm like, sorry. he could be yeah. in Vegas. He lives in Phoenix yeah. and he comes to Vegas with okay. his wife like all the freaking time. What's yeah. interesting to me is that you're a finance YouTuber and TikToker and you have a, a huge following, but at the same time, you are very, very smart with investing. And I think you could be the only finance YouTuber that makes, well, like real genuine finance YouTuber that makes more money from your investments and your non like YouTube job mm. than you do from YouTube oh, ads yeah, and it's sponsorships. Not, yeah, oh, we need to hear this. Let's. What let's do you think, this. Graham? How much? Oh, wait. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna guess. Oh, please don't. Uh, I'll guess. Uh, oh, social media. Are we? We're counting everything, so including sponsorships okay, and everything. Right. I'm gonna guess social media probably pull in forty thousand dollars a month on that. I, I was mean, gonna say thirty. All right, you're gonna say thirty. I was gonna say thirty. Oh, you tell us that first. It's probably about twenty-five. You're closer, dude. Yeah, because okay, YouTube shorts are killing me. They're right. killing my long format content, and that's going to happen for a while. And I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that my shorts are going to hurt my long format content and AdSense income for a while till I either back end people and I get them in a sales funnel and do something else with the traffic, or I wait till YouTube fixes their shorts and then all the delicious money starts coming back. So I think 30, well, that's what I said, 30 okay. for, for the social stuff. Sure. And then for your, you know, non-social media stuff, I think you're probably making 45 or 50. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I'm going to guess, mm, we're talking net. Can we talk? Oh, yeah. Gosh, like, I, oh, so gosh, I don't even know that number because I'm spending so much on CapEx right now. Yeah. So I'm so gross. Gross has to be about 150, but I'm going to guess of that net in your pocket has got to be about 80 uh yeah that's right i guess you're a little high it's like i'm in the like vicinity of 100 120 gross and then if i wasn't spending so much on capex i should be like 50 60 a month um net and with that's with all the things i'm in and then i've got some partnership agreements where i don't get the whole thing and then my debt service i pay like seventeen thousand a month of debt service but um, a lot of it's amortizing and we're getting close on several loans just closing them out so then my monthly net's going to drop increase more but Suffice to say, my net's probably two to three times a month on my investments versus my YouTube income. Uh, but the thing is, it's like with my my social media stuff, I spend no time on it. My time commitment's almost next to nothing. Um, if, uh, other than editing, I, I, spend, I spend no time on shooting my content. Half of it's with my cell phone That's and stuff. That's incredible to me because when I watch your videos, it's like you, you've done everything right. From like, Because when, when I'm talking to Zach, Zach King, He's, he told us that he does like 90 takes on his stuff. Oh, it's, yeah. it's really, it's planned out. Everything you see is purposeful. And like he gets the, and I don't want to say he gets the algorithm down, but he knows exactly what to do, yeah. which points to, to, to make it work. Yeah. But yours is just like, yeah, I'm just going to film with my iPhone, spend yeah. a time. And, it's and just, that's, it's good. And that's where I've got to, I've got to resign myself to that's how my content's always going to look. And now I'm trying to figure out what does the systemization of that look like? And realistically, it's going to be someone following me around with a camera once or one or two days a week and just doing all the stuff. And they're going to edit it on the back end, make it look authentic because it will be authentic. 
And then hopefully I'll get to the point that I'll be getting out the volume of content that I need. Cause I'm lacking severely in the volume. I, I would like, uh, I would like ideally to have four short format a week and then three long format contents content a week. I'd agree if, with that. If I can film for 16 to 18 hours a week, then I'll be good. And then just outsource all the editing, which is where I'm going. Um, now my ultimate goal is to do the whole thing live. Um, cause I really, really like Kevin's engagement. I've, I, mm -hmm. you know, partially stalk Kevin on um, his stats for YouTube and I know what engagement he's at. I've talked to a couple people about that do live streams and they've said, yeah, you know, if you would do structured live streams, you would get about 10 X what you do now. I can pull in six, 700 concurrence on just a random live stream. I did a random live stream the other night at the laundromat because I had to go fix something. I just turned on my cell phone, had 700 concurrence and 18,000 watchers um, over the 45-minute stream, which was good. And the C YouTube's increased the, C the, the RPM yeah. rate for live streams a ton. So I get the good engagement. It goes out to all my YouTube shorts uh, followers, and it's just going to work out really well. So if I could figure out like a multi-cam format sh live stream, I think that'll be exactly what I want. And if we can do it in high enough quality, then we just can go and we can take all the content I need, get the episodic stuff and then just get it out. But mm -hmm. I like the idea of having a live stream that where people can ask questions like, why are you doing this thing, Brandon? Why are you weighing the quarters in a bucket? That's because if I did it with a machine, it would take me an hour and a half and I can do this other thing in five minutes. So it's more time efficient for me. How um, accurate can you get when you weigh the quarters like that? Oh my gosh, it's really, it's really close within 1%. At that really? point, who cares? I use my, my machine because I have to separate quarters, nickels, and dimes. And plus it's fun. I like the sound. And when you go to a bank with like a bucket full of quarters, do they you hate me? Do you wrap it up? You don't wrap it no. up. Oh, no. wow. I specifically went through every bank in my county and figured out who would let me drink, bring in the bulk coins. How, so how do they do But then <sighs> they have to wrap it. No, they've no, you know, they, they've got a deal. If they can get it to an accurate amount, amount, they can give it to Brinks or Loomis, and they'll take it to the federal depository. Because we've got a federal a federal depository in Cleveland, which is really that far from me. So then they take a bulk bag. It has one thousand two hundred fifty dollars worth of quarters in it, and they just put in the bulk bag, throw in the. But the but they have to it. still count out. The Fed does the twelve fifty. The Fed does it. The Fed does. That's why we have a quarter shortage right now. Because these banks take our coin shortage, they take the Fed bags, they take them to the depository, and they're so far behind on counting those quarters, and they're not bringing enough surplus or enough, enough volume from the mint and new new coins that we have a shortage. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea either. Why don't? Yeah. So here's the thing: I've always believed that they should get rid of change. Uh, well, how, how do you feel about that? Like, at least get um, rid of the penny. Yeah, you get rid of the penny. We don't need that. But also, it's like usually change just don't eat at some point i think it's going to be just a tap card like a credit it's card it's a chip in your hand well, chip in your hand you just scan it's like it and that's like credits yeah yeah so that's social credit thing yeah so. mm -hmm. um i i think that probably in 20 years you'll probably see coins like they are disappear but you you'd be shocked at the municipalities and areas that are very very strict they absolutely want change. New York City is one of them. And as many digs as I have against New York City, they kind of demand that laundromats and other businesses like that accept quarters and money. They don't want to go tap to pay because there's a lot of people that are on SSI and stuff. They absolutely don't want to use a card. They want to use cash. So it's kind of like a disenfranchisement deal if you don't accept cash at a business. Um, since, you know, legally it is, you know, they have to right. accept that tender. There's ways to kind of. There's some flexibility on those laws, but I, I would like to see, I guess, probably rounding up to a nickel. 
um, rather than just doing away with all change and then just go to five cent and 20 cent coins. But you don't really have to like bring a bunch of quarters to the bank because what I find funny, for some reason I just find this so so hilarious, is that people will go in with dollars and then they'll put it in the machine mm-hmm. and then they'll get quarters out and then they'll spend quarters in the laundromat yeah. and then you cycle those quarters in the laundromat back into the machine where they put their dollars in. Yeah. So it's literally just How moving you spent the same quarters. It hasn't kept me up late. Yeah. But I just think it's so funny that the quarters literally just go from the machine yeah. to the laundromat or yeah. to the, the laundry yeah. machines back to the machine. Till, till my competitor comes in with a hundred dollars and twenties and tries to run me out of change. No. Way. Oh, you know what? I want to hear about the dirty. Let's talk about the drama. The, it's the dirty tricks. Believe it or not. I have heard so many stories. Laundromat owners are ruthless. There was, one story that I heard, and this was on the forums, by the way. Okay. And uh, this was like the top, the top, yeah, the laundromat forums. Uh, the top thread was about a guy. Uh, so, someone wanted to put their savings into a laundromat. They thought they'd done all the research, and some guy wrote like this essay on why he shouldn't do it. And one oh, of the yeah. reasons was that uh, there was there was one owner of a laundromat who had like six or seven of them in this one like big mm-hmm. big. It was a big enough city, and he had like the monopoly on this. Well, someone else opened up a laundromat in his territory, mm-hmm. and he didn't like it. So what he ended up doing is lowering the price of oh, yeah. all of his laundromats oh, yeah. uh, to basically run this person out of business. Oh. And so what happened is uh, apparently the, the, the guy was warned, if you open up here, I'm doing this. Yeah. Don't open up here. And the guy was like, ah, no, it's, you know, how bad could it be? The guy literally ran him out of business just oh, yeah. by lowering his prices. And the guy was like, listen, I have all the money in the world. You, you, like, it's going to hurt yeah. you more than it's going to hurt me. Sure, I don't care if I don't make money for a year, but you're going out of business. Yeah. And sure enough, uh, nobody went there. Yeah. I mean, there's dirty yeah. tricks in that. Yeah. Let's hear them. I want to. Yeah. What's the drama yeah, in the laundromat? I mean, car washes too. I mean. Oh, well, we'll real, get to that. Let, we'll get to let's that, be yeah. honest. It's about any business where you've got people potentially with old money that can just just be mean and be angry at people. I mean, what isn't there? You go and pay a... Oh gosh, I don't want to get demonetized. Like a, we'll be careful. I don't know if you guys watch my channel. I call them people of the rock because we can't use that word. On people YouTube, what? we get demonetized. You don't watch any of my stuff, do you? People, people of the rock. People that use a certain kind of rock in their life that's an illicit substance. So addicts. Yeah. Yes. Of a substance. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, so, I mean, there's, it, it's nothing to give somebody a hundred bucks and ask them to go burn down, burn down somebody else's laundromat. No. I mean, gosh, you guys. So you're saying you people, don't deal with competitive. So you're saying, no. you're saying, you're saying I mean, people that are addicted to substances, uh, do really anything for money. they'll do anything for money to get more of the substance. Yeah. They will be paid by your competitors yeah. to, to, to burn down laundromats oh, and sure. car washes. Yeah, sure. That is what absurd. A, yeah. I mean, why laundromats like, out of all things? Because they're it just, profitable. I mean, but but what we, let's go back to what I said yeah. starting off this this leg here is people with old money can they get to this point that you've got all this money and you can spend on whatever you want. And you're you've done had a laundromat for 30, 40 years and some whippersnapper comes into town and they they're trying to take over your business and you can just spend money to the point that they go bankrupt or you can pay somebody to do something they shouldn't be doing, or you can go, you, there's, there's all sorts of ways you can do it. And I'm not saying, let me be clear. I'm not saying this happens very often, but it does happen. And it's, but it's just, it's with any kind of business that's out there that you have people with old money and those I've seen it with rentals. 
I've seen people underprice their rentals 200, 300 bucks a month because someone bought a property they didn't like. So, what are the other tricks though? You mentioned putting a hundred dollar bills and running out of change. Oh, I, I've, right. I'm sure that I've had people come in and intentionally damage my equipment. Okay. I don't know for certain that it's a competitor, but it's just, and you know, and what's so funny is people, and it's not just with laundromats, people have like, they are a big brand supporter of a competitor. And so, you know, if they accidentally throw, I don't know, <laughs> rags in a dryer with oil on them and it accidentally sets it on fire, you know, there's people that will support a brand and they'll just damage equipment. That's crazy. Just, Holy just, cow. You people, if someone goes to a laundromat for 20 or 30 years, the same one, and they kind of come to the decision that the other person's going to put them out of business, the one they've been using for 20, 30 years, <laughs> just inside town, you might as well go break the crap. That is customer loyalty, oh if I've ever seen it before. Gosh. That's so oh, what, I mean, what about car washes? I mean, unless there's anything else with the laundromat, I'm, I still rack I mean, my mind. Like I said, I, I, at the onset of this, I could go for like five hours. I want you to tell stories. us more of these stories. What I've seen is on your Instagram, and I think also your YouTube videos, you have security cameras that mm. catch the wildest things. Oh, yeah happening in your laundromat can you oh, yeah. can you provide like maybe like the craziest thing that happened in your laundromat or maybe we'll two <laughs> say it say it well just say it in like the the kid version <clears throat> if there's a way when a mommy and daddy love each other very much <laughs> i don't understand i'm jack jack jack's parents never uh okay yeah. oh, okay oh they watch this graham they watch okay. this um, I've had that happen a couple times. I've had people concoct substances on the floor, mm-hmm. like they were cutting their materials with with credit cards and debit cards wow. on the floor. Okay. Yeah, but not the high quality stuff, like the cheap stuff. Um, I've had those two. I've I've had a lot of people like throw a party in my laundromat. What? I, I absolutely laugh. They come in with like a, a twelve pack or twenty four pack now, of beer. Isn't that almost like a good thing? Like, doesn't that help? I mean, like. You know, that's kind of one of those situations. I'm like, is this a bad thing or a good thing? Because they really like my laundromat. I was about to say. laundry party. Do they do laundry or do they just go and party? Some of both. They just kind of go and I would be happy with that. Like, if someone came in with with a a six-pack with their buddies and, like, at least one of them is doing laundry and and customers are not turned off by that or they're welcoming, that would be a memorable experience. That's that's been funny. Those are kind of my more memorable things. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that st- I still get anger angry at is we had to put a um, quick set key code on our bathroom. So now you have to call a number to get the code to use the bathroom. We had to do that, and I don't. I've never talked about this on the channel. So it's oh, it's a Graham Stephan exclusive. Wow. Ooh, nice coffee exclusive. Hit the like so, button. Yeah, and subscribe for this. Yeah. So. We put the lock on it because I found out later on, at some point, probably in the past year, that people were going into my bathroom and they were hiding baggies of illicit substances oh, in our in our drop no. drop down ceiling, and they were popping out the panels, hiding it up there. And then someone was coming back later, and they were like cash apping each other because someone was like, "Oh yeah, they're cash apping each other for the the substances they're hiding up in your drop ceiling." Wow, I wouldn't even think about that. I would, you know, why not wow. anywhere else in a park? Well, Anywhere else. Yeah, and I, uh, That's yeah. a no cameras. Guaranteed. Not in the bathroom. Yeah. I got them in the hallway. I got them all over the laundromat. And people That's know. True. I even got the, the security cameras wired up to TV so when you walk in the laundromat, you see yourself on the camera. They still did it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So if I would have known it 
well, because we figured this out when we were renovating the laundromat. If I would have known that, I would have taken a um, live stream camera and I would have hit it above the drop ceiling <gasps> with a light trigger on oh, it. That would have been I amazing. Got, yes. I would have got a notification on it. Um, and so is that I, illegal? Not, oh, no, totally, no, not totally a bear. No, in, yeah. the, in the state of Ohio, we're one party wiretap state and it's great because <laughs> what it means is as long as there is an expectation and by, uh, as my understanding of grant, I'm a legal expert under Ohio revised code, it essentially says if you, there is no expectation of privacy, then none is afforded. So if you're at a business, unless you are in the bathroom, the confines of the bathroom, then there's no privacy expected. So it's anywhere in the grounds of the laundromat. I can do whatever I want to with recording. So it's like, really, you expect privacy in the drop ceiling? <laughs> uh, you can't say anything else. Right. We, we set the camera up, so that's all I get is the hand up there. And it's just, but the, the problem is, is do I want this drama and this spite to drive my content? Or do I want to be the happy guy with the quarters? That's the, the problem, because it, <laughs> if you get on the wrong side of that, like let's say, because it's not just the guy, it's the guy who then gets it from somebody else, who gets it from somebody else, and that top person's like, who's this guy? And why does this have 20 million views? And why is my guy's hand on there yeah. and my business? And then all of a sudden, then you become a target of that. Yeah, and it's just, it's just I, you know, if I, if I let it, all the drama and the problems will overwhelm me and overwhelm the channel. And it's like, I cut back on a lot of the drama. I, it's going back to this having a camera following me around. Both good and bad stuff, I only like put, like I figured it up as like 20% of it on YouTube and TikTok. Like I've got 80% more stuff that I was like, man. It's like, for instance, Right before I came here, we did a craft show with my my ten year old and twelve year old. They baked bread, they made chocolate, and they took it to this craft show. And they, we were there for like an hour, hour and a half. They sold eight dollars, and I said, "You know what, guys? You know it'd be fun." And they said, "What?" And I said, "Me to show you guys how Daddy sells things." And they said, "What do you mean?" I said, "All right." I said, "I want you to fill up a basket with all your bread and all your different stuff." And I said, "We're going to go sit, make some money." And they said, "Okay." So they made eight dollars in an hour and a half. And so I said, and they just said. My 12 year old, I said, or my, I took my 10 year old first and she said, so how are we going to make money? We're not selling anything. I said, we're going to go up to every single person in this building and say, hi, I'm Brandon's daughter. And, um, me and my sister baked bread for this past week and we made homemade chocolates. Would you please buy some? They made 80 bucks an hour doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and it was very uncomfortable for him. I was like, guys, this is daddy's job. This, when daddy goes, daddy sells something. We were all at some point in our life going to be, we're either selling our time to an employer or we're selling a product to somebody. It's all life comes down to is selling your time, selling a product. Um, and I'm like, this is what daddy does. And we just had an absolute blast at a cra uh, craft show selling homemade bread and chocolate. And my kids made enough money and they're like, they came home and like, mommy, we got enough money to buy a switch now. Each of my kids can, you know, now afford a switch because I'm a cheapskate and won't buy them stuff. Anyway, um, so it's like, we didn't record anything for it. It's just, it's lost wow. the time. Except the stories. So I got the stories. So that's nice. Yeah. And I could do the stories. That's but good. I like that. Will you please buy some? Because yeah. it's it's conveying the message. Mm. They're asking for it politely. And it's hard to say no to that. Yeah. It's Will you please hard. buy some? It's, instead of would you like to buy some? No. Would you please buy some? Yes. 
Yeah, and I, see that little shift there. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. It's smart that, yeah. because especially coming from a kid, it's like yes. you can't say that as like yes. an older person. But from a yeah. kid, it's yeah. like you can kind of demand that. Yeah, right. Because it's get, like innocent. It's funny. Well, we're yeah. guilt tripping like, them in. It's 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 cause exploiting I, their their innocence. I look at all the kids that do lemonade stands. I love kids that do lemonade stands, but I also feel bad for them because a lot of them are bad at sales and they just don't know what they're doing. And it's like, I, I wish that every kid that would have a lemonade stand would know how to sell. Because, man, that would be a great point to start off your life. And yep. just considering yeah. the possibility of having a career that deals with sales. I've done so many lemonade stands, and the hardest part is getting people to stop their car. Yeah, but then that kind of it can be a location thing, and it can kind of be a logistical thing. You know, if you could go up to the cars and sell it, then it might be more, more um, advantageous. I did a YouTube video forever. We parked cars for our big festival from where I'm from. And my Brandon's great idea was, you know what? We should go get a bunch of stripe readers for our cell phones so we can take cards. So we're the only parking lot in the whole entire town that would take credit cards. And all the people that were working for me during that festival, mm-hmm. they're like, this is the smartest thing ever. I'm like, kind of stupid that no one thought that you can get a card reader for five bucks. And, you know, we made extra thousand dollars, let's say, just for a five dollar uh, swipe swipe reader that we got from Walmart. It's just those kind of little tweaks. And that's kind of hopefully... I feel like I about do a bad job presenting it on my YouTube channel, but there's all these little tweaks and little things that you can do in a business that improves your margin. If you think that you, you, my thing that I always try to do is look at something, figure out what the average is, increase your sales 10% or 20% over the median or whatever the average is and try to decrease your um, expenses 10 or 20%. If you could just take any business, like with someone that has a 10 cap rate or an eight cap rate, drop your expenses 20%, you increase your sales 20%, those numbers start to become super, super powerful, especially if you leverage it. I ran into a guy that did uh, spec construction in my town on a Chipotle, and he sold it at a 3% cap rate. I thought, I'm in a small town in Ohio. Why would anybody buy a commercial facility on a 3% cap rate? They said, you know, they've got a 3.5% yearly acceleration clause, and they got a 20-year guaranteed lease from Chipotle, which is backed by McDonald's. You start penciling those numbers, it's like 75% increase in, in the uh, gross rent rate over the next, what, 12 years or so. It's just incredible the, the way the numbers start working. And a lot of people don't take that math back and think, oh, wow, I just have to do a little better on my sales and a little better on my expenses, and you can rule the world with it. And there's just so many businesses that could take that efficiency gain, but you know, people need to be encouraged or have a feel like they can do it. That tends to be like a wow. mental block. Smart man. Very smart man. I don't know about that. <laughs> what? You what? see the dumb stuff I do. I would love to hear about the dumb yeah, stuff yeah, you do. Yeah, tell us about yeah. the dumb stuff. Oh, uh, when I was six years old or seven years old, I felt like I needed to retire on my GI Joes in an honorable way. So I poured a bunch of gasoline on them and I went and got my dad's bow and arrow, wrapped a rag full of gasoline around it and shot the flaming arrow into the, the big stack of GI Joe toys. I missed, had to go get the... Um, the flaming arrow back up. I went up to the big giant pile of toys with gasoline on it and found out the hard way that vapors get generated from that. And I woke up unconscious under a tree, missing my eyebrows. I blame that on, that's one of the reasons I think I'm bald today. It's probably it. That's got to rattle off more. That is my less than stellar intelligence, but I don't even know what to say. (laughs) What's your favorite business to run? I don't know. I, I like the car washes. They're pretty fun. What about the stories of the car washes, like this shady stuff in car wash? We've heard laundromats. I mean, it's the same. The big thing is, and I, I, I'm going to get hate mail, is so many of these businesses 
people are underreporting their income to the IRS. I, I mean, I, I thought honest. this was assumed I mean, with, it with is laundromats. Assumed, but, I mean, yeah, but especially. Any, but grocery stores and car washes and laundromats and vending machines, are, a lot of people underreport their income, some like severely. And what bugs the heck out of me is when you go in to buy one and you're like, I want to offer you X, Y, Z amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. I'm like, can you give me a tax return? Because I want to go get SBA financing or I want to take it to a bank. And they're like, well, there's a problem. We don't have any money, yeah. you know, and you have nothing to show. So you, you end up at this point, and I, I make this point on a lot of my videos, number one, to get the IRS off my back. Granted, that hasn't been too successful because I did get audited last year. Um, but it was over Bitcoin, so it's all happy. So, um, But they underreport their income. Yeah. And then it comes time to sell. They lose so much equity in the business. They, if they would have just properly reported and get a good CPA, That'll help them do cost segmentation, track their depreciation appropriately, expense things that are are appropriate, provide corporate perks that you can take a lot of different things off your taxes. I mean, you take any um, was a ten sixty five statement to from um, your self employment or business income statement. You take it to bank. The first thing they do is they take off depreciation. So if you can get that depreciation number up high enough to minimize your tax liability you're good good as gold you don't have yeah. to worry about it i i dealt with one of them because we got a, a statement from one laundromat and the same thing and the the guy who we had helping us said that it was so common just basically yeah. don't ask for a tax return it's not going to be accurate instead yep. what he recommended doing was hiring somebody to track yep. what sort of business they were doing over the course of a week yeah. or it was like over a month or something yep. and then you extrapolate based off that yeah yeah, and you can do you can do back end engineering on water reports. You can go right, and just, you right. like scan the um, barcodes for all the washers in the facility. You can pull a PDF file from the manufacturer of it. You can say, oh, this washer uses forty five gallons per cycle. Well, um, come up with a median figure, and it takes like ten minutes to do it in a spreadsheet. Call the water department because it's most states have a law that you can request water um, water statements on everybody, and then you just kind of do the algebra on the back yeah. end and figure out how many cycles they've run look at their median prices and you can get yeah, that it was it was interesting because i remember the, at the time this was 2013 or 14 there was a big difference or there was starting to be a shift between the coin operated machines mm-hmm. and the card operated machines mm-hmm. and uh i remember his advice being stick with the coins because if you get audited uh there's less of a trail yeah uh, but- and 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 it seemed like people were also very resistant to doing the card machines yes. because it's it's trackable it seems like a lot of people in that industry were like we yeah. just want the cash and still that way with a lot of people. But, right, yeah. but the big thing is if you take cards and you do a rewards program, then you can collect a float mm. and people oh, don't yeah. cards. And I've heard some numbers thrown out there and they're at one person. I, I don't trust what they say, but they said they had a 20% float on the redemptions for the laundromat. And wow. That would, that would be so worth it <laughs> if you had a 20% float on your laundromat cards or car wash cards. Right. I haven't heard that number thrown around ever for a car wash. I've heard like a 10% float on car wash um, redemption yeah. codes. But um, tell us about the, the shady stories or, or funny stories with car wash. I like your stories. I like the worst one that we've gone through is someone intentionally ramming our car wash. And oh, we had wow. to, it was like, it's probably, we don't know what the insurance number is going to be, but it's going to be six figures, probably hundred hundred twenty thousand dollars the car. Like, how does that work? Yeah, they, their machine was stopped. Someone had bumped it with a, a pickup truck because it can only, the old machine that we had in there can only take vehicles up to 19 feet. No one knows how long. Do you know? I would. You own know. a vehicle, right, Jack? Yes, I do. 
Okay. How how long is it? Sixteen feet. No, that's sixteen. Do you realize how big sixteen feet is? That's yeah, pickup truck size. How long is it, Graham? Your car? I'm what guessing it, your car is probably about ten, nine, ten. It's feet. a 2006 Lexus RX 330. Uh, I'm going to take a guess and say it's going to be twelve to fourteen feet. Okay, but most for the most part, no one knows what their vehicle right. length is. Yeah, but if you have a pickup truck, if you like a quad cab, they're right at nineteen to twenty feet. So they come in and they bump the machine. Their their hitch bumps the machine. It just stops. So machine stop guy pulls out of the car wash. This other vehicle just comes up and just runs right through it. And this big machine sitting there doing nothing. And what it is, there's an overload that gets tripped and you got to just turn it back on. And it's this big giant thing. He just had this idea that you could just kind of ram it. And he rammed it three times and it did just an astronomical amount of damage. It did tons of damage to our car wash, but we've got 4k security cameras on everything. It really didn't look like it did much to the guy's SUV. But now, who's your, who pays for that? Uh, his, his insurance, because we got the license plates. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what if he's underinsured? I mean, because if you we say have, six hundred, uh, uh, $100,000. Yes, um, we have more. really good commercial insurance. Like, okay. our our um, adjuster could not believe how overinsured we were, because we were like, someone's going to hit these machines. We're like, it's guaranteed. We're new operators. We're bad things are going to happen and took three months and then someone rammed it. So how much did you buy this car wash for and how much is it making per month? So this is public record. We paid 675,000 for both locations plus the storage locker facility. I will get in trouble if I tell you guys how much it makes because my business partner wants me to put it behind a paywall. You, we could block it out and then you just get our, we'll just get our reaction. Okay. But on camera. also, okay. but also why, why behind a paywall? What's Please. the, because I want to do training for car washes and profitable businesses. And it's like, I really need to explain to people. I'll do the reaction shot. We were doing about a month off the car washes. So Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. To me, that seems it's it's profitable, but it's nothing that I'd be like, oh, my. Now, here's yeah. my thought is that it, it sh- you should tell people how much it makes because that would be that would be so much more enticing to people than. I know. Believe me, I know. And well, you could show him this. Why do you even need a partner on that? Because I'm not mechanically inclined enough to service car wash. Oh, it's so expensive. So I I also looked into buying a car wash and I think it was 125 and it was in Downey, California. And, uh, and it made a lot of money. I think it was like, it was supposed to make like 30% a year or it was like, it was some amount where it was like, or no, it was like $50,000 a year for a 125 car wash. But the thing was that uh, maintenance was so high. Yeah. One and, thing goes and wrong. And he, yeah. my business partner, is so good with me- the mechanical stuff. He's found and he's got a guy trained. We got a part-time maintenance tech, and I haven't had to do anything other than collect money for probably like. Well, I had to show up twice in the past five weeks, but I went three weeks and didn't do anything. And we're, we're trying to do is come up with a car wash system so we can just go out and buy all the car washes in our region because he they're just. They get, you get them on a proper maintenance cycle when you do the right things, then they just print, they print money. What other businesses have you thought about getting into? Uh, what about gas stations? Um, I would like to buy one just to have one. Gas just stations, to have just, one. To have one. just to put that in the collection. Yeah, it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. Um, one of the things I talked to like the ATM kingpin of Nevada before I came here, like it probably five hours ago. 
And he's was we were talking numbers on those, and oh my gosh, and he's doing Bitcoin ATMs and all this different stuff. We just talked about all these how crazy much is, things. How much is he doing? Oh, he he didn't tell me a number, but it's millions a month. Um, how do you well, how do just you in fees? Bitcoin yeah. ATM at cannabis dispensaries because it gets around the banking law. How smart is that? Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's the stuff I, did. I like. I don't That's even think absurd. about that. Absurd. That is absurd. I don't even think about. But he showed me one, and I'm like, and it can read checks. It can take cash deposits, give out cash deposits. It's like we got a nice Chase branch branch where I am in Ohio, and it like spits everything out. You can tap to pay, get money out of it from an ATM, check cashing, all this different stuff. It's like that kiosk, but it's self maintained. I don't get why the cannabis dispensaries don't just have their own Bitcoin ATM if it's that profitable. I think that it's a violation of banking laws because whenever you, I'm sure, I mean, the the forms are federal. Does your business involve the sale of, you know, gambling and Mm. um, uh, marijuana and things like that? There's like a list. Do you do these things? And if you check that box then boom, you're not getting an account. So that's why most of these cannabis dispensaries are transacting everything in cash and they're paying gobs of money to like, I don't know that they do Lloyd's of London. I think they just do Loomis and Brinks, like the cash transport services. Those fees are in some cases worse than um, credit card fees, like the interchange fees and everything. They can be like two to 3%, like just to handle the cash. And sometimes they're more like it's 3% on cash stored. So what happens is, if you can transact on site and you're acting as kind of an intermediary and you can kind of transact with Bitcoin or you can do something that isn't actual physical cash storage. It's just, there's so much opportunity that's out there, but it's, you know, just, it comes down to, can you figure it out? Can you structure it? Can you find a way to scale it? And if you can get to the point that you can come up with a uh, scale model, then all of a sudden magical things happen. And I, I know people that have, Vending machines. I mean, I think you did on the Graham Stephan show, you had Jaime Ibanez. Yes, we did. Back in 2019. And he came to Ohio and um, Jaime and Liz and I, we talked back and forth and he's like scaling and scaling and scaling his vending business. I think he's up to like, I could be wrong, but just on his vending side, he's making like $300,000 a year. And it's his time commitment from my understanding is continuing to not be terrible, like 20, 25 hours a week. I could Mm. be wrong there, but it's not a lot. And it's because he's figured out the scale and he's figured out the logistics to make sure everything's efficient inside that operation. It's something it's with vending machines. We have vending machines have been around almost a hundred years, but he's efficient about it. And laundromats have been around since the thirties and there's people out there. They're just killing it because they're finding out how to be efficient at scale and car wash is the same thing. Mr. Car wash recently had an IPO and their uh, market cap is higher than what the car wash industry produced in 2019. They had like a $40 billion um, market cap and the car wash industry as a whole did like 10.5 billion in 2019. Wow. Yeah. So they're doing four X of what the entire car wash industry made revenue wise, not net revenue. These are incredible businesses. It, it, you don't even think about it. That's what I like about yeah. it is that these are businesses that you, you walk by it all the time and, and no one ever tells you, Hey, uh, maybe own an ATM. It's weird. It's like I never use ATMs. Do I. I don't. Either. I never use laundromats. I have maybe once or twice. Yeah. I I rarely ever use car washes. Yeah. I, I I believe me. I I use my family used a laundromat once before I bought one, 
use a car wash like once or twice a year to get the salt off my car because I live in Ohio. Like maybe used car washes 20 times in my entire life and then I bought one. Um, got into rentals and my family pretty much grew up only in rentals. Then my parents didn't own a house till, till like 2005. So I'm doing all these things I have no no experience in, which I would think gives hope for people because you can do things that you have no experience in. You just you know got to learn quick, but you can mm-hmm. do it. So, Can you uh, say your total portfolio value? Oh, it's like an, gosh, I need, I keep doing revaluations because my area of Ohio keeps going up higher and higher and higher, but it's about six, about 8 million at this point. And how much? My debt service is probably 2.5, 2.6 million. Like 6 million? Yeah, five, five, six million. That's like your, that's like your net worth. Yeah. There's, there's some caveats in there. Like I've got some equity loans with people and they get like 25, 35, 40% of whatever a individual property sells for. So then that's not on my general debt service because sure. that's what I'm paying on, just like my loan balances. But I've got a few of those deals, but they're not, it doesn't kick my net worth down severely. But what's amazing to me is how much of that was created based off of active income versus like, I mean, one could argue that like owning a laundromat and, you know, buying rental properties and stuff is somewhat active is, because yeah. you're yeah. always working on yeah. it. But versus like, like a, a salaried income or some sort of income where like you had to work for it, like, like when you're a real estate agent yeah. or something like that, what percent of that growth was from something like that versus just buying a property and then, you know, it's, it cash flows and oh, more it's passive it, investments. It, it, the, the actual true and pa- passive investment side, it's all from equity growth and it's like, you go out and you buy a car wash and you spay, spend 600000 on it. And then you go and if you buy it on a 10 cap rate and then all of a sudden you're doing a 25 cap rate and the business truly was worth, let's say, like we should use better numbers. Let's say you buy a car wash that's a million and you're at a 10% cap rate. So it's clearing net 100K a year and you double that net at 200K a year. You've gone from a $1 million car wash to $2 million car wash. And that is not hard to do at all. One of our locations right now, we're up 45% in terms of gross sales. And then we've pulled our, our uh, expenses have actually dropped down because my business partners, why, why I like him so much, he has gone through and he has chased down every problem like water leaks, found a garden hose that was going full blast to the storm sewer for no reason whatsoever. Turned that off, tracked it down, shouldn't have been on, that saved like $500. $500 a month for a year, $6,000. You drop your cost basis down $6,000 a year on, you take that off of your um, 100,000 a year. It's, now you're making 106,000. It's amazing to me that you've been able to build a $5.5 million like net worth, basically all off of like, in the beginning, like you had investors and stuff and yeah. you started investing in real estate and then slowly just like growing your own portfolio all the while. Yeah. It's like, that is, uh, that's absurd to me. Congratulations, kudos to you. Like that's- yeah. Amazing. I mean, I, realistically, it's, I think it would happen to anybody if you'd owned as many properties as I do and you waited long enough. Because now I'm now I'm in the process of selling down my single family detached because there's just so much equity in them. So we'll, we'll I'm in the process that we'll sell about a million dollars worth. And if my math's right, we should clear like a net of six fifty on it. So three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt uh, principal curtailment. Then with mm-hmm. I'll clear six hundred and fifty on it. Um, but my cash flow is not going to be hurt really too much at all because our, our my apartment segments just getting better and better and better. We're going in throwing ten thousand dollars into unit, and we're seeing like a twenty to third twenty to forty percent increase in gross rents, and it's just it's incredible. This makes me want to invest. Me too. Seeing what you've done is just we could just give you money 
And uh, so you, you, know, you, how much so you actually go do a syndication when I go home. I know. Yeah. What about self storage? Mm. Storage facility. Uh, do you own any of those? Yeah, or? I got a thirty-eight unit. Thirty-eight unit. How's your experience been with that? It's good now that I have an assistant. It yeah. was it was bad when we took it over because all the people were elderly. They were paying by checks. No one was on the same date. Mm. And then I had my assistant say, "Hey, guess what? You now get all of the late fees." So I want to make sure that late fees are applied to every account as per the lease agreement that we took over from the facility. On you know, we want to make sure that each unit's rented out in an appropriate time frame. We're gonna give you the tools to advertise on Facebook, we're gonna buy banners, whatever is necessary for you to be able to advertise them, you're going to do it, and we're gonna pay your regular rate plus bonuses based on not so much performance, but figuring out how to fix the problems, the underlying problems within the self-storage facility. So we took it over and we're probably at 30% vacancy, and I think I looked at the chart before I came on Monday and I think I grew up like 95%. Um, but I'm probably going to take the remaining five for my rental stuff. Cause we are, our rates lower than the median. We probably should raise rates, but we just don't feel like it. And it's overall, it's, it's a well performer, but what we're wanting to do is come in with like some security features and whatnot. The, the storage industry can be a big money maker, but I don't see a lot of money being made for, taking over and, and doing value adds. I mean, there's plenty of value adds that are out there. I don't see them. All the big money to be made from my perspective is a new construction because there's still a huge difference between an efficient build versus what the markets can bear in a uh, well-built out, well built out location that there's a, a shortfall of storage units. What's your advice to somebody watching who's going to hear your story? They're going to be, I want to do that. What's, what's the first step? Just what do. business do they go into? How do they learn about this? What should they avoid? How do they start out? Let's say they have, I don't know, a few grand saved up. My big thing is like, if, if, if I get this question, I'm sure you could do too. It's like, what would you do if you were me? And it would be, I'm going to tell you the most boring thing ever. I'm going to go tell you to put all your money in VTI or VOO. And then spend the next six months and figure out, look at vending machines or car washers or whatever. Find something that you think you can be really passionate about. Do all your research. Do all the legwork to see if there's an opportunity out there. There might not be an opportunity out there. I'm, there's plenty of locations where vending can't be done or ATMs can't be done. You can't do a car wash. You can't do a laundromat. You can't, there's just no opportunity out there. Go, you know, at least you've made some money on that money and you, you're not pressed for time because people were like i got two thousand dollars burning a hole in my pocket i'm gonna buy a vending machine i'm like you don't know a single thing about it and you don't know anything about location you might not be good at prospecting or talking to business owners i mean that might you just might suck at it there's people there's a certain personality that you need for atms and vending you might not have it so it'd be really stupid for me to tell somebody just go out you know this is this is what you have to do but I think if you take that pressure off and you can see a little bit of money growing, even if it's just like a couple thousand dollars sitting in VOO, VTI, they did pretty good the past two years. Um, then that way that pressure's off and you can go out and you can find something to get into. I know people in Southern Ohio, they flip cars. I could not flip a car to save my life. If my life depended on, I would die if I had to flip cars. But I know guys and that they make a killing off just buying cheap cars and reselling them. And there's certain cars they like and they just, have two or three thousand dollars to just constantly cycle the money over. I don't have the personality for that, but they sure sure as heck do. I know guys that they flip mowers. They go out and they get riding lawnmowers and push mowers, and they just have they have a little nest egg of cash, and they flip small engines constantly. They just love it and they make money at it. And there's so many other things that I've seen out there, like small engine repair flipping. 
you can make 100, 150 bucks an hour doing it. But I, it's hard for me to say this certain personality subsets exactly that you have to do this or you have to do these things. Just go out and explore the things, see what your personality meshes with. Practically everything you can learn is on YouTube right now. The knowledge of the world's on there. And then just find something that your personality meshes with. But then don't be so afraid that you're going to fail because, I mean, I've got all sorts of business I failed in. My, when I was 15 years old, I ran an online paintball store and absolutely obliterated and crashed into the ground because I didn't know anything about accounting. Mm. If I knew now what I knew about accounting, I'd probably been a multimillionaire because we were selling stuff on eBay back in 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah, back in the wild west. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. I have $10,000 in my Robin, oh, $11,000 in my Robin Hood now. Okay. Uh, it's money Congratulations. that... Congratulations. Uh, thanks. It's money I don't really need. Uh, investment. Like, uh, I have retirement accounts. Okay. Obviously, I need the money. I'm not like This is play money? No, it's not play money because I'm not like Graham super and... wealthy. Um, but honestly, I'm thinking of pulling all my money out of Robin Hood okay. and using it to... to generate more money because i i need to bring in more more money like totally passive or are you wanting a moonshot that's the problem i mean um i would have to be something i can do on the weekends okay so Uh, you want a little business you can do on the weekends yeah because i used uh when i first started making money i used about ten thousand dollars to launch my wedding business okay I, i moved out here i closed my wedding business um but i also can't spend 80 hours a week on this business what do you recommend? Yeah, what do you recommend? Go rent some TikTok people that don't understand business. And Go buy their channel. License their content, buy their channel, and then repurpose it. Set up a business plan for them to monetize their content they're currently not monetizing. I don't get it. Could you explain I think that? that's, that's Yeah, genius. can you please explain yeah, funny that? Enough, I love that. I don't get what? It. Okay, I'm not going to say this person's name. I know a guy on okay. TikTok. He's got 750,000 followers. He posts any video. He gets half a million views. Last time I had the conversation, he's been on TikTok for two years. He's made $6,000. That level of influence is worth a lot more than $6,000. I think anybody in Alex's situation where he's got a phenomenal eye towards artistry, Mm -hmm. he's got a good understanding of the back end of the business. I would go and take $10,000 and I would go find, let's say, two people on TikTok that aren't making any money. Just go send out DMs to a lot of people and say, are you making the money that you want to on TikTok? I want to license you. I want to pay for lowball them. $50 a video for the next, I want to, I want to own the next hundred pieces of your content. Find people that are good at their content and you, you, you under, you can feel this, you understand, um, what's good. Say, I want to prepay or I want to buy the next hundred TikTok posts. And then you help them segment their content to something that can make money. And I, I don't know what that is. Um, I was talking to somebody just trying to get them set up with an Amazon affiliate store because they were, they were talking about things that were highly sellable, not big money, but you know, Amazon affiliates who make 6% and just doing the math, they should be making probably 2,500 bucks a month off their channel. And they just could not do it. They didn't have the ability to set up the Amazon affiliate store. Nothing. So I would take your skill set. I would take that $10,000 of it's just money. And then I would go in and I would start, you know, let's call it a mini influencer agency. And then I would just rent TikTokers out, Mm -hmm. set up some offers and um, go and you'll make all the money back, but then you'll help people grow the brand. And then they can maybe slowly step out of um, 
it's amazing how many people I run into on TikTok and even Instagram to a point they just don't have the business understanding, but they've got the audience and you can rent audiences. So I had that same idea. Did you? Yeah. A few months ago. There's a lot oh. of people that had that idea, but yeah. no one, it's like everything else. No, yeah. Ideas are a They're dime worthless. a dozen. Right. Yeah. And it's the implementation. As time yeah. goes on, I just get aggravated because well, I got all these crazy ideas. I've seen people do that with OnlyFans is that they've, uh, they've gone to some creators and basically said, well, if we split the income that it makes, I'll make yep. sure you make five times more. Mm. And you could use the houses, the cars, these connections. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll use this promotion, yeah. but we just split a 50-50. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are famous out there that are making the money. I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw names around, but TikTok very recently lost their top influencers mm. to Hulu. And the problem is it's like TikTok. If the only reason they left is because they weren't making enough money. And I've talked to quite a few people and they either handle the influence and the traffic very, very well, or they just don't. What's Hulu doing? They probably paid them between 50 and a hundred million dollars for a show. So oh, now, you're doing a Hulu show. Mm-hmm. Oh, so now their top tier content's going to be on Hulu, Hulu. I'll do a show. Give me a show, Hulu. Yeah. So I mean, I'll leave TikTok. <laughs> So it's just, it's just an influence, influence deal and how you're using your marketing and your brand. Cause every, you know, everybody, if you'd really think about it, most people have a personal brand, at least as far as your professional network goes, you know, people, you have at least a little bit of influence on people and you can utilize those connections. You know, when you were doing real estate, you had influence, you know, real estate full time, you're using your influence and your personal brand to convince people to buy a house through you. Um, and people have that in their own life, but they don't understand a lot of times how to make any money off of it. My mom cleaned people's houses when we were, uh, from the time I was probably 16 to the time I was 21, my mom cleaned houses and she just could not ever accept the fact that she was worth three to four times more than she was charging people. And I look back and I'm like, well, I really wish you would have charged more for what you were worth. You had the appeal, you had the brand, you had the following. Why didn't you act? Why didn't you do it? And her always, well, I just didn't think I needed to. I'm like, mom, you're cleaning houses for rich people. And we were dirt poor. Mm-hmm. We could, I mean, we had holes in our wall growing up. There was, there were, I don't know that was specifically the time saying my mom was cleaning the house. Cause I think we eventually fixed it with duct tape, but we had holes in the wall and mm-hmm. I, my brother and I sleep on diesel furnace exhausts. I'm like, you know, mom, it would have been pretty cool if you would have charged more to clean people's houses would have been nice. And, you know, as much as I love my parents, I'm like, you know, she didn't understand that she had that influence and that appeal that she had that she had a product that was great, but she didn't understand the worth of her own value. And a lot of people run into that, that problem. If we'd be honest about it, they've got, they've got the product and brand appeal, but they have very strong difficulties monetizing it. And it's like, I wish that I had the logistical ability and the time to go through and just make those connections. And, um, it, there, there's a lot of people sitting in the background that are doing very well off YouTube. They don't have a channel. They don't do anything. They just connect people. And I've known some guys and they're beasts right now setting up like creator houses. They're going and doing real estate deals and providing housing for YouTubers and people on TikTok. So they have a place to create content with no overhead. And then they're kind of taking percentages of people's channels based on the fact that they're providing the housing and the equipment. And I mean, just, I'm, I was talking to somebody about that two weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe I'm like, man, that's an insane play. And then their statement to me was, you know, you have all these rentals in Southern Ohio. Like we should start sending people to you. And then that'll fix all your editing problems and all your content creation problems. Like, wow, gosh, you know, yeah, just go and do it for me. I, Cause I have, I don't have the time. 
it's just there's just the bigger to me it's like the bigger you grow in social media influence and all that different stuff what happens is you just realize the fields are wider and bigger and more robust. So there's just more stuff to do. I I imagine if you were someone like Elon Musk, he probably has 20 times more ideas that are on the shelf beyond, you know, Tesla, SpaceX, the boring company and uh, whatever else he's in. I, you know, I'd be hate to be in his shoes with that mind, with that mental capacity and that ability. I'm sure there's all these things he's not able to exercise and not, and even worse, not be able to find the right people to, to mesh with them. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. Uh, when you were talking about promoting on Reddit, uh, I remember there was a guy promoting on Reddit and I was really jealous of him because he had 200 subscribers and I had maybe 50 and you were doing, I'm guessing it was you. Was it you? Cause I did I, I comment on that channel. Reddit like crazy. Yeah. If, I got banned. If, from yeah, the because I, I was like, this is self-promotion. Yeah. And uh, like I got my post removed right where I did something similar to you. Yeah. And they removed mine. But yours was up there. But yours was up there because I, I'm guessing it was you because you wrote a whole novel in it. Yes. That was you. Yeah. And you went in through these houses. Mm. Yeah. That's crazy. So this is when I was like 20 subscribers, 30 subscribers. Yeah, it was forever very, ago. Very, because- very beginning. I'm not sure what happened because you could go on YouTube and you can sort your comments by subscriber count. So it would show the top creators first on your YouTube account. And at some point, number one was Graham. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's cool. And I sent you a screenshot on Discord. And at some point it disappeared because I tried going in like a month or two ago when we started talking about getting this set up. And I was like, oh, I'm going to find this screenshot so I can make sure that uh, I've got it documented because I thought it'd be fun for this podcast. Yeah, this was it. Oh, yeah, there we go. February 16th, 2017. Yeah, it's forever. You were the one who I saw on Reddit. I've never put the two and two together until just now. And it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking, who is that guy? And I I was like, I wonder where he is now. Yeah. Do you have any advice for us? What could we be doing better? I don't want to tell you to make shorts because then you'll start beating me out. Uh, So we should make shorts? Oh. I mean, I, I think people that, have been telling us, yeah, we should. I think I think shorts will do very well. I think there there's I think there's still a lot of room for them to grow. They'll peak and they'll decline, kind of like vines did. But I think there's the ability to get a lot of traffic off of them. Um, then the other thing is, I would start look work on more digital products. Hire a guy to run a sales funnel for you, and then just start doing a sales cycle on digital products because you've got enough of a following. But then you've got to kind of decide whether you want to sell, sell trade some of your influence equity. To people, but you could make a crap load of money off that. That's I like the shorts idea. I'm good with the shorts. The second yeah. one's kind of. I don't think that Graham would want to do it. You would do want to do it though. I think you want to make money. Well, depends. Yeah. Yes. It, it, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for coming. I really on, appreciate Brandon. this, man. This went so well. It you did. are one of the smartest guests I think we've had on. I don't genuinely. Know. Genuinely, I took an IQ test before I came, and it came back negative. So I was really starting to call into question my sanity. <laughs> That's impressive. That's actually so impressive. I would consider that genius. So, thank you, man. Now, do you want to tell them to subscribe? Subscribe Hit the like button. Yeah, please smash the like button and subscribe to the Ice Coffee Hour because Jack Jack needs Jack needs some money. Jack needs money. Today we hit two hundred thousand subscribers. Thank you guys so oh, much. Yeah. That is. 
absolutely awesome. amazing. Thank you. We guys. really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Brandon. Oh, no nice to meet you in person after talking yeah, to you online after for so long. Yeah, we've been talking on Discord for freaking two years. And uh, with that said, you guys, have get a great your, Get your free stock down below in the description center. For mentorship public. group, link awesome. down below, probably. Yeah, yeah you Thanks. should sign up to the mentorship program and talk and to them and gain valuable insight. There we go.